podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. The Two-Footed Podcast is brought to you by EPLindex.com and our presenting sponsor, Liberty Shield. Liberty Shield is a VPN provider. A virtual privacy network allows you to go online, change your location, access things you're geo-blocked from while keeping your data safe. So, as an example, if you are a UK expat and want access to BBC iPlayer to watch Match of the Day or ITV Hub or all four, but you get that message that says this content is not available in your location, a Liberty Shield VPN gets you around that block, allows you to watch whatever you want on those services while also keeping your data safe. And it goes further than that. It allows you to open up Netflix's entire library by just changing your IP address. Liberty Shield is the number one rated VPN provider on Trustpilot with five-star ratings across the board. So go to libertyshield.com right now, use the code EPL25, and get either the hardware package or the software package. The hardware package is a router that you plug into your existing router, and any item you want to change the IP address on, be it your phone or your television, you connect that to the new Liberty Shield router. All other items can remain connected to your existing router. There's also a software package, which is instantly downloadable to your device, and you can get using straight away. Again, libertyshield.com, EPL25 for 25% off at checkout. We're also brought to you by Home of Hopcroft, a giftware and homework company located in Scotland, but shipping worldwide. Check out homeofhopcroft.co.uk and do check out the EPL Index and Anfield Index shops, which you'll find on Etsy. Use the codes EPL10 or RED10 for 10% off at checkout. And lastly, do remember to check out a tad predictable hosted by Tadiwa. That podcast is on this feed before every Premier League match week. And then the EPL Roundtable, hosted by Kevin DeVries, on its own EPL Roundtable feed. So just search EPL Roundtable in your podcast device. And that's out after every match week. Now, on with the show. What's good, boys and girls? Two-footed podcast. Today is Friday. It's December the 8th. I am recording this on Thursday, December the 7th, uh, as I'm unavailable on the 8th. So this will just be our predictions pod for the week. Not going to do any news or gossip because don't know what the news and gossip is going to be. But I will welcome in Mr. Guy Drinkle. How are you, sir? All right. So how's the weather? You're? It's not too bad here, considering. It was horrendous earlier but it's actually not too bad now. It's not, not too bad at all. Not too bad. Not too bad. Um, so uh, we are recording this before Everton play Newcastle and Tottenham play West Ham, but it is what it is. So we're just going to have to deal with the 10 games as we view them right now. So where do we stand this weekend? So we start off with Liverpool in a half 12 kickoff, of course, because football heritage. <laughs> um, we have Crystal Palace hosting Liverpool. 
Um, I know this will kind of come off as whinging Liverpool fans, and it kind of is, but I thought the band teams playing Wednesday and then playing half 12. I know it's the same boat for both teams, so fair enough in that way, but... I believe it's only if you play Wednesday in the European Cup, not in the league. Yeah, but that's very stupid. I know it is. I know it is, but I think that is how they're operating this at the moment. So, such is life. And look, we just get these half 12 kickoffs. That's just what it is. Um, and it's, it's in part because Jürgen keeps complaining about it, so they just keep giving them to us uh, so that we can enjoy more and more of them. But look, if you're going to look for one, this would be a favourable one to get. You look mm-hmm. at a Crystal Palace team who, in the last 10 games, are 16th in the form table. In the last six games, they're 16th in the form table. In the home form table this season, they're 17th with only one win. They lost to Bournemouth last night. They lost to Everton a couple of weeks ago. They really are struggling. Now, Liverpool's away form has not been fantastic. They're sixth in the away form league. Two wins, three draws, and one defeat. That hasn't been updated. It's three wins, three draws, and one defeat after last night's win. Um, Palace obviously beaten by Bournemouth last night, so... Their their record is just very, very poor at home. And they were outplayed last night. And they've got significant injuries as well. Uh, Eberichieze is out. Czech Dekure is out. Dean Henderson is out. Tyreek Mitchell looks likely to miss out as well, who's a key player. And then Rob Holding and Raksaki are out too. Uh, Liverpool do have some injuries of their own. Joel Matip ruled out for the season with a torn ACL. Thiago Alcantara... Uh, potentially has ceased to exist. Andy Robertson is out with a shoulder injury. Diogo Jota is out, but he is now back running, which is a good sign. Alison Becker is out, but he should be back for the Manchester United game, which is promising. Alexis McAllister is a doubt after suffering a cut on the knee. He might just be rested for this one. And Stefan Besetic is out for a myriad of reasons. Um, So Liverpool aren't at full strength, but they do come into this game in... Good form. They're fourth in the form table uh, as things stand. And they seem to be getting more and more of a, an identity of who they are and what they want to be. Obviously had a crazy game against Fulham at the weekend, but last night was a bit more run of the mill, a bit more straightforward. And they picked up a solid victory at home. In the last six games, they are second in the form table behind only Arsenal. So that's promising. And um, I I think Liverpool will go there and win. I'm going to go Liverpool 3-1. Yeah, I don't think the game's that interesting, but obviously I think you and Carl obviously discussed it on AI this afternoon, uh, which I think has just come out. Well, this is out on Friday, so it'll definitely be out for the people listening now. Um, The managerial situation at Palace, I mean, if they do lose this... um, I can't remember the exact run, but Crystal Palace have not won a game in a while. And obviously his comments after the game saying they've had it had it good for a few years, which you kind of dispelled very well on that. Mm. I mean, there is young English managers like Sam Allardyce and Steve Bruce out there for Crystal Palace to get. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> it could it'd be weird to do a change because, well, they've never sat Roy Hodgson, etc. in these positions before, but 
it does feel like toxicity is bubbling. Yeah, it does. I mean, you can't come out and say the fans have been spoiled when you've won one and drawn two at home this season and lost four. When you ha- you've won one league game since September, and that was away to Burnley. When your only home win this season was home to Wolves on the 3rd of September. You can't come out and say the fans have been spoiled. And as I said on, on Scouted, you look back over recent years, like seven home wins last season and an 11th place finish. The year before that, under Vieira, seven home wins and a 12th place finish. Before that, under Roy, six home wins and 14th in the league. The year before, under Roy, six home wins and 14th in the league. 18-19, also joyously under Roy, five wins, 12th in the league. The year before that was the year that started with De Boer and then Roy took over. They won seven games. There's 19 home games in a season and they're winning a third of them. And this man wants them to believe that they're being spoiled. Like, it's just, it's baffling that Roy is that deluded. These home fans are being served up garbage football week after week. And if you look back across the Premier League, like, you've got to really feel for them. You've got to really feel for them that they just, they win six to seven home games each season. And that's it. That's what they get. They pay their hard-earned money to come and see their team win six or seven games at home. You have to go back to 13-14 since they won eight at home. Uh, But the football is garbage. If it was good football, if they played like Brighton or even Brentford, who are similarly sized clubs, or even Bournemouth, who are similarly sized clubs, Bournemouth are smaller than Palace, but they played good football like those teams. You might accept six or seven home wins. But when you're turning up to watch Dross and there's no ambition and it's very clear that nobody within the hierarchy of the club, but first and foremost, the manager, has any idea that a top half finish is something they're capable of. You have every right to be furious. And they were right to boo last night. And if they get beaten at the weekend, they should boo again. And they should push for change because Roy Hodgson has no business managing in the Premier League at this point. He's so outdated. He's not very good. And he was never very good to begin with. Mm. You've got to get rid of him if things continue this way. And if he's going to make comments like that about the fans who are the most important group of people connected to a football club, then he needs to go. He needs to go. It's strange because, I mean, the second half of last season when he got out, I think, whether sacking Vieira was the right thing or not, the right thing went quite well. He stabilised the season. They actually played some entertaining football with the young talent there. It did feel like a a perfect, well, second ending to his time at Crystal Palace. It was just weird giving him the permanent role again. It just seems like a, a lack of forward planning from Palace overall. Yeah, it does massively. But I mean, you look at you look at last season, right? So Vieira was sacked and and they couldn't really complain. He couldn't really complain. They'd had a good start last year uh, through up until the World Cup break. They were doing quite well. 
um, they'd won two, four, five games before the World Cup break from, I want to say, 14 that they'd played. Then they lost to Fulham off the back of the World Cup. Then they beat Bournemouth. But then they lost two, drew two, lost one, drew three, lost three. He got sacked. Roy took over. Um, but they lost a game in between the sacking and Roy taking over. And they ended the season pretty strong. They won their first three under Roy. They got a draw, a defeat, a win, a defeat, a win, and two draws. But you know what's funny? They were 12th when Roy took over. They ended up in 11th. Mm. They weren't going down regardless. They weren't going to be at any real risk regardless. So what was the point of that change? You weren't going to get relegated. You just weren't. There were four desperately poor teams in the league last season in Nottingham Forest, Leicester, Leeds and Southampton. And Bournemouth and Nottingham uh, Bournemouth and Nottingham Forest weren't particularly good either. West Ham were entirely focused on the Europa League. Wolves were not great. Like your celebration is that you finished above Chelsea. Fair play. Fair play. But you weren't going down. So I, I've never understood the change. Giving him the job permanently was, in my view, a poor decision. And, you know, the thing is as well, it's not like, it's not even just the fact that they don't play great football. It's like how few goals those fans get to to cheer. 21 home goals last season in 19 games. Like you're not even getting those moments of cheer. 24 the year before. This season, it's been pathetic how bad they've been at home. This season in the Premier League at Selhurst Park, six goals. Like what are you paying your money for? Why would you want to go and watch that? It's dreadful stuff. If I was them, I'd be having a very, very serious think about Graham Potter right now. What would it take to get Graham Potter? He's had, what, nearly eight months since he was sacked by Chelsea? Yeah, he's already turned down a couple of jobs, hasn't he, as well? He has. I'd be giving Graham Potter a call and seeing if he's ready to come back. Mm. I wonder about the Brighton thing, though, obviously. I don't think it'd matter to him. I think because he left under shady circumstances as well, where sure, he's already he, pissed them off. <laughs> that's the thing. Like, he, what, what are they going to do now? Like, he, he already negotiated with Chelsea behind their back and took that job. I don't see that he's got any loyalty to Brighton. Um, I think Palace would quite enjoy the fact that they could have an ex Brighton manager. And to be fair, Brighton fans might be a bit annoyed, but him leaving got you Deserby. You'd rather have Deserby than Potter. As good as Potter is, you'd mm. rather have Roberto Deserby. So Brighton fans can't really be too, too upset. I mean, look, one of Brighton's best players ever is Glenn Murray. He also played for Palace. They don't hold that against him. True. True. Anyway, we spent much too long on that, but it was an important question, I think. Uh, moving on to said Brighton, um, they're hosting Burnley at three o'clock. Uh, I know they won the other day, Dave, but Brighton just, I know a lot of injuries. Mm. Doesn't seem right. No, they don't. No, they don't at all. And what concerns me a little bit is the fact they haven't kept a clean sheet in the league all season. Uh, Over the last six games, they're ninth in the form table. If we look at the last 10 games, they're 12th in the form table. That's not promising. Um, Now, their away form 
has them seventh. They're unbeaten at home. Sorry, the home form has them seventh. They're unbeaten at home. Whereas, like, Burnley just are bad. They're third bottom over the last 10 games, second bottom over the last six games. And their away form has them third bottom. So, you know, they're not a good team. They did get a big, big win over Sheffield United, which was a huge confidence booster for them. Mm Mm-hmm. But then they turn around and they lose 1-0 to Wolves. Don't even so, test Wolves, really. No, didn't test them at all. Like they, Bentley made that good double save, and that was about it. So you'd have to fancy Brighton to win that game. Now, injury-wise, they are they are struggling a bit. Uh, no Stupinen, no Lamptey, no Fatty, no Enciso, no Welbeck, no Dehoud. Oh, is Dehoud back? Dehoud might be back. He got suspended, didn't he? Yeah. yeah, I think he might be back. Yeah. Uh, no Webster. No, oh, Dunk is back as well. Uh, no Solly March. So at least with Dunk and Dehoud back, that helps. Uh, Burnley, Cody Oshu out and out for a while, apparently. They're saying he might not come back this season. Ooh, that would be massive blow because he's been so fun. Uh, Lyle Foster's out. Jack Cork is out. Jordan Byer is back. And Josh Cullen is a doubt. It's just hard to see Burnley going there and winning. It really is just hard to see Burnley going to Brighton and winning. Brighton are a really good team. They've had a bad run of form, but they have won two of the last three. They've been decent at home. You know, I know they've they've had one or two questionable results this season, but they have been decent at home. I think Brighton win this game... I'm wrong. They did lose at home because West Ham went and beat them there. West Ham beat them there, so they're not unbeaten at home. Mm-hmm. Um, I do think they'll win this game, though. I'll go. I'll go three nil to Brighton. Yeah, I think they'll definitely score goals. It's the, Burnley. I know they pumped Sheffield United, but there's not many goals in that side against teams that are in the Premier League. Um, but moving on, we have Man United hosting Bournemouth, Dave. Uh, I believe Bournemouth are now the third form team in the league after the last handful of fixtures. I think it's a hell of a turnaround. Um, Ryan Christie seems to be getting a lot of praise from whenever I've seen uh, pundits mm. cover him. I believe he was ex-Celtic, because I'm guessing you watched him a, a bit more before his time at Bournemouth. Yeah, yeah he is. He's, he's playing well. Now, he, he was poor at the start of the season, but he is playing well. Him and Lewis Cook have struck up a good partnership. Um they're using billing now kind of in a in different roles he was on the come off the bench last night for example and, and still mm-hmm. was able to contribute to the win but they're getting more out of their wide players the defense is starting to look a bit more settled Sabarni and Zanisi have struck up a good partnership it's good to see Kirkes come back into the team last night Solanke's playing really well his hold-up play has been outstanding his link play has been really good they're in very good form you know They've they've really turned things around quite well after what was a very very poor start. Um, so I'm 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 quite confident that they can potentially potentially get something here. United though, I mean they are beating the bottom half teams. It's what United do now. Injury wise, uh, Bournemouth no Tyler Adams, no Max Aaron's, no Alex Scott, no Lloyd Kelly, no Ryan Fredericks, no Mark Condes, no Randolph. United, no Malashia, no Casemiro, no Martinez, 
no Ericsson, or unlikely to have Ericsson, no Sancho, no Diallo, and probably no Rafa Varane, who has lost his place anyway. Um, look, it'd be easy to overthink this and, and try and do a galaxy brain thing and say that United will will you know vomit all over themselves again, which they're more than capable of. But I'm just going to pick a 1-0 United boring win mm-hmm. because that's kind of what they've done against all all of the teams in that part of the, the league table so far is, is scrape a win. They do have the best player in the league and Scott McTominay as well. Oh, well, that's it. Like Scott, that's the thing. Scott McTominay is a top scorer in, all, in, in the league and in all competitions. So they, you know, Bournemouth do need to be aware of the, the threat of Scott McTominay. But I, I think they can cause United trouble. Like they've got pace mm. and movement up front, but I'll still go with 1-0 to United. Yeah, Semenyo's been really impressive when I've seen him as well, um, him and Solanke. Mm. I know he's played from the wing, but uh, he looks like if he if he can be a bit more consistent in front of goal, maybe like a bottom half version of Salah and Firmino. There. Yeah, because he's, he's picking the ball up and he's driving central with it a mm. lot. And that is causing problems because he's big and he's strong and he is very quick. And he's, he's quite a, a tough player to stop when he's... In movement, like he's not afraid to go into a tackle while he has the ball and bundle through a player and use that physicality. I, I'd hope they get more from Oatara this season. He hasn't really contributed yet this year. Yeah, it's so- weird because like Ahmed Traore has not been in the squad as well. Maybe he's just trying to what's worked. He's just keeping that unit for now. That's I mean, the thing. Yeah, yeah he's, he's he's sort of just playing the players that are maybe adapted to the system better, you know, giving him what he's looking for. Last night, uh, Justin Clivert started and, and had a decent game. Sinistera started and has a, had a decent game. You have Tavernier and Oatara come off the bench. So you do have that threat. Like you said, they have options. That's the thing. They've got, they've got options and they've got pacey options. And then they've got the big battering ram to bring on in Kiefer Moore. And nobody enjoys playing against <laughs> Kiefer Moore because he just... He's like an in-control version of Ollie McBurney. He just goes out and he throws himself into defenders. And he's a nightmare to deal with. And he's huge and he's good in the air. And he got his goal last night, which was his first goal in over a year. But like, he gives them an, a different approach, which they need. And look, they've also got David Brooks in the squad who can play a big role. Joe Rothwell is there. Like, they're not a bad group. It's not a it's not a squad lacking depth either. Like there's good bench options. Where are you they mentioned Hammond Traore. Fifteenth, yeah. yeah, like they, not that long ago, people were writing them off and saying mm. that well that's them gone. You know, you, you you have to give them credit for the way they've turned it around. That that hammering they got at at Everton, people wrote them off. Two mm. months later, they're looking much better. Yeah. And I know Everton had the 10 point deduction. But even give Everton back the ten points, they'd only they'd only be a point ahead of Bournemouth right now. So now they'd have the game in hand tonight as we record. But you don't fancy them to get anything against Newcastle. So you know they, they they've turned things around hugely since that that night at Goodison or that day at Goodison, and I think Irola deserves great credit for that. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Um, you went with a one 0 for United there, didn't you? Yeah, yeah, 1-0 yeah. United. Yeah. Uh, on to a different United. Then we have Sheffield United, then Dave, hosting Brentford. 
uh, Chris Wilder, obviously, kind of a last minute appointment ahead of the Liverpool game. Not a lot of training time at all. But he did tinker a little bit with, with the back three. Obviously, Trusty kind of playing the half role there and bringing in the young lad whose name I can't remember, even though it's only been like a few few hours, kind of. Um, but he did mix it up a little bit. And Brentford do have a bajillion injuries. I know Mbwemo went off the other night, didn't he? Mm. Um, so I'd have to say this is a good opportunity for Sheffield. Yeah, yeah, it feels like it. Um, no Rico Henry, no Aaron Hickey. No Ivan Tony, no Kevin Shade, no Christopher Ayer, no Nathan Collins. Major doubt over Matthias Jensen. Major doubt over Brian and Bomo. Christian Norgard suspended, and Josh De Silva a major doubt. That's a lot. That's a lot for anybody to deal with. Um, for Sheffield United, no Basham, no Norrington Davies, no Egan, no Davis or Davies, no Jebison, no McBurney, no Brewster and uh, no George Baldock. Now, there's only a couple of them that they actually miss. I thought Brooks, who's the kid you were referring to, he came into the team last night and played sort of a hybrid winger, wing-back type of role. Did he have a different name on the back of his shirt? No. Are you thinking of Osulu? I am thinking of Osulu. He played in the attack. He was good as well. Yeah, I'd never heard his name before. They've got talent. Like They've got Mm. some decent players. I think think they need a new goalkeeper, as I've said. I think they need two new centre-backs. But like the midfield is pretty decent. They could use maybe another body in there. They've got some decent options in attack. You'd like one more. Mm. The same Jefferson's cropped, isn't it? Yeah, I, I'm not really sure what's gone on there. I think he's got some sort of health issue, and it doesn't sound the best. But we'll have to wait and see if and when he comes back. But even you look at the bench last night. Benny Traore is a decent player. Max Lowe's a decent player. Luke Thomas is a good player. Uh, and it's Ben Salman looks a decent player. Like it's not a, it's not an awful, awful group. It needs four additions. Like I said the other day, it needs four additions, but that's going to be expensive. And I don't know how willing they're going to be to do it when they sat nailed to the bottom of the of the league and they're, you know, four points behind Luton, who are seventeenth. But realistically, you're looking at Everton. Can we overhaul Everton? Can we get more points than Everton between now and the end of the season? Because unless Forrest continue to plummet, which isn't out of the realms of possibility, you need to finish above Everton to stay in the division. And I don't fancy them to do it, even with some additions, because I think Everton will make additions. But I am going to say I think they win this game. Brentford have so many players out. And Brentford's away form has been... Fairly poor. Fairly poor. Sheffield United's home form hasn't been good by any stretch, but I'm going to go for the Sheffield United win. I'll go. I'll go two one. Yeah, these this are the, is game the game they get. Yeah, they have to win this game. They have to win this game, and then following off this, they've they've got Chelsea away. Whatever they've got Villa away. Whatever they've got to beat Luton. They've got to win two of these four games. They need to bin off the FA Cup. They cannot have... This is one of the mistakes they made the last time where they were having that horrendous run, two points from 17 games, and they went on an FA Cup run and started playing their first team in that and it never gave them a chance in the league. Win two of the next four. 
Stranger things have happened than them going to Stamford Bridge, by the way, and getting something. We've seen that this year. Forrest oh, went there and won. We'll talk about Chelsea, Dave, don't worry. That game yesterday was an embarrassment. Oh, it's awful. Genuinely awful. But they've got to focus on winning games against the teams in the bottom half. They've got to beat Brentford. They've got to beat Luton. I'm going to back them to beat Brentford. Even though I said I didn't think they'd get more than four points from this run, with Brentford's injuries and suspension now to Norgard, like having having Mbomo, Jensen and Norgard out on top of Ayer and Collins and both starting fullbacks and Tony and Shadi, that's a that's an entire team. Like that's an entire team, basically. You've got your goalkeeper and you've got one of your starting midfielders available. Your entire start, your entire best back four, or if they're playing a back three. Four of their back five are out. Pinnock and me are fit. One of them would start with Ayer and Collins if everybody's fit. Hickey starts. Henry starts. Jensen starts. Norgard starts. They've got Janelt available. He's playing as a fullback. De Silva's really good when he's available. De Silva's excellent when he's available, but he's never available. Mm-hmm. And you're missing three of your four best attackers in Mbomo. Shade and Ivan Tony. Now Wissa would start over Shade, you'd imagine, but still, like that's they're missing basically a full team. He's lucky to not get sent off last night as well. Wissa wasn't he? Didn't yes. he slap someone or kind of swipe at someone? Very lucky, he had a bit of a mm. swipe at someone. But yeah, I'm going to go Sheffield United to win this game two one. I think they get their bounce here. Saturday afternoon crowd. This is the game for Chris Wilder to really make a difference. I think this is this is where they get they get their their mojo going a little bit. I don't think they're going to stay up, but I think they'll start to make a bit of a fist of things at least. Mm-hmm. Mind if they do win the one point of Luton, and well, I'm going to guess we don't predict Luton to win this weekend, no disrespect that you play Man City, um, and we've already predicted Burnley to lose, so obviously depend what Everton do tonight and the weekend, but one point off Luton, one point from safety if Everton don't win, it, it, it's a big step. Um, anyway, moving on to Wolves against Forest, Dave. This game seems a lot more important to Forrest. I don't know. Wolves obviously did win midweek, um, but they do have three losses in the last five. Um, so another win would probably help. But Forrest, I mean, Steve Cooper, We I think we mentioned it last Friday, job under pressure midweek did not help. Now, the fans did sing his name afterward, um, which is was lovely to see, but they do have to pick up victories. And what, what was that? Was that four losses in a row? Four losses in the row in the league. It's mm. it's it's not pretty because I mean, they had a couple. Of, well, three of them were tight, but losing five nil to Fulham. Yeah, losing to, five to, to, to Fulham that was, Fulham. I mean, that alone could nearly be sackable, given you'd lost the previous three. He still, I think, got a lot of good favor behind him because he's the guy that brought Forrest back into the top flight. He kept them up against the odds last season. But they're just in a horrible run at the moment. Now, they are dealing with injuries, but so is everybody else. And this weekend, they seem to be almost back to having everybody available, bar Awani and Willie Bolly. Everyone else appears to be available. Just a shame that was probably the most important player. <laughs> but that's the thing. Taiwo is their most important player because he's the guy who gets them the goals. Now, Wolves are missing Neto. They're missing... Uh, Johnny Castro, for whatever reason, something happened at the training ground. The missing Joe Hodge. Jose Sarr should be back. 
thought he was they thought he should be back for the game the other night and he wasn't, so we'll wait and see. And Ain't Nuri might be back as well. But I'd really like to predict a Forest win because I really want Steve Cooper to stay in the job because I think he's good. But I have to be honest, Wolves have been very good at home this season. Mm-hmm. Like they they beat City. They decimated Liverpool for the first half. Like absolutely tore Liverpool apart in that first half. But Neto was vital to those wins. Uh, that those performances rather. They still look good even without him. Like Cunha's playing well, Huang is playing well, the midfield looks really strong. I'm going to pick a Wolves win. I'm going to go one nil to Wolves. I want Forrest to win this game, but I think Wolves will. You reckon that'd be the end of Cooper? Um, what have they got coming up? Let's see. Forrest after Wolves, Tottenham home, not easy. Bournemouth home, they've got to win that. Then Newcastle away, United home. They should have beaten United at Old Trafford. Brentford, Arsenal, Bournemouth away, Newcastle home. It's tough. Like, it is tough. The only thing going in their favour is that they're six points above the drop zone. Mm. But if if Sheffield United win, then it's five points above the drop zone. If any of if Everton or Burnley win, it's three points. Yeah, they've got that four-point cushion on Luton, but let's just say Luton pull off a shock and beat City, which I don't think they will, but let's just say they do. Then all of a sudden, you're only a point ahead of them. Then I think it's going to get to crisis time. The question is, who do they bring in? Because you look around and, like, would they go the big Sam route after how disastrous his last two attempts have been? Well, I mentioned Lopetegui last Friday. He's probably the one. Like, he probably is the one you'd have to go and get. I think he'd probably take it as well, because those owners will back him. And the, mm-hmm. his big thing with Wolves was, even though, like, I just I don't accept his excuse, they, they didn't back him enough, or he claimed they didn't back him enough. But, like, he knew taking over, they were in the financial position they were in. I mean, Potter might that. be an easier job for that, to be honest. No political or fan detest there. Wolves could be interesting. Yeah, Potter Wolves could be interesting. Might leave Steve Cooper open, or Forrest, yeah, sorry. Might leave Steve Cooper open to take the Palace job. Lopetegui could take the Palace job. Could be interesting. Um, Always Nathan Nathan Jones to come back. Oh, God. I heard his name mentioned with some job. Was it Swansea? Might have been Swansea. Yes, Um, I think it was. um, I think he turned down Rotherham or something. He did. He turned down Rotherham, and it looked like he was going to take that one. I think he turned it down because the Swansea and Sunderland jobs open up and he thinks maybe thinks he can get the Sunderland job. Um, Oliver Glasner's quite highly thought of, isn't he? Oliver Glasner's very highly thought of. Oliver Glasner's an excellent manager. Now, he's the type of guy, though, that's gotten teams into the Champions League, so I don't know if he'd be willing to take over a team battling relegation, but you, you offer him a big enough bag of money and he'd certainly consider it. You'd say the same about Lopetegui at Sevilla, to be fair. Yeah, yeah, true. Very, very true. There are, yeah, to be fair, there are there are some decent options out there if Forrest decide to move on. As I said to you last week, if they do sack Steve Cooper, he'll get another job as quickly as he wants. Like, if they yeah. sacked him this weekend and Sunderland hadn't found a new manager, 
I bet Sunderland will make a phone call mm-hmm. because he got Forrest promoted. He got Swansea into the playoffs twice. He's proven that he can do really well in the championship, taking over mid-season as well. I hope he doesn't get sacked, but yeah, I think they're going to lose again this weekend and I think it's going to start to to really close in on him. Um, we'll go 1-0. Yeah, very important game there. Uh, might not be the most entertaining, but very important. Uh, one that should be uh, entertaining and is very important at the same time, we have Villa hosting Arsenal, Dave. Um, I'm sure you've discussed it on today's podcast, uh, which is obviously Thursdays, but the goalkeeper situation at Arsenal, I mean, Villa probably going to this game favourites due to the home form and literally the just the performance they put on last night was mm. sensational. But Arsenal, David Raya. I mean, yeah. have you have you ever seen like a such a sideways move? I know he's on loan, but they are committed to twenty eight mil. I think it is. Yeah, they're t- they're doing that deal one way or another. I think that, mm. I think there might be penalties in that if they don't. Um, it didn't make a whole lot of sense at the time. Like it was a sideways move. You kind of thought, okay, Raya might be just a bit more even keeled than Ramsdale. But he hasn't been. He's been incredibly flappy this season. Mm. Arsenal fans want to point at certain statistics. Like you're not, you're not changing the facts of things. He's had a bunch of stinkers. He was dreadful against Chelsea. He was poor against United. He was appalling the other night against Luton. Absolutely. Was he bad in one of the Champions League games as well? Was it Lens? Uh, Lens away, I think. Yeah. Um, it's it's not a good situation for them. You're not winning the league with, with those two goalkeepers, in my view. I went through this the other day on two-footed. If you look at the goalkeepers that have won the Premier League, the only ones that would be comparable to their level would be Kasper Schmeichel. But that was a fluke season. And Kasper Schmeichel is at least consistent. He doesn't make a lot of mistakes or didn't back then. And Mark Bosnich. But Bosnich was a better goalkeeper than either Rea or a Ramsdale, and that United team were much better than this Arsenal team. So I don't think either of them are really all that comparable. So you'd be looking at a first for a team to win a league title with a goalkeeper as, or two goalkeepers as up and down as these two. Uh, this weekend, Arsenal have no Fabio Vieira, no Tommy Asu, who's out till late January, which is a big blow. No Thomas Partey, no Emile Smith-Rowe, and no Julian Timber. Villa, no Buendia, no Mings, no Triore. No no starters missing for Villa. And Villa looks so good at home. They were brilliant against City. And I think they're going to win this game as well. Now, Arsenal are the, the best in the league in terms of away form this season. But they've only played two away games against top half teams. They drew at Chelsea, having been pretty much outplayed. And they lost at Newcastle. So they're yet to show that they can perform against the top team away from home. And Villa are probably the best team in the league at home right now, along with Liverpool. I'm pretty certain that's the case. Yeah, yeah it is. They're the, they're the two teams that have won every home game so far. Newcastle obviously lost one home game. Um, and they've been great at home, but they did lose one. Arsenal have been good at home, but they did draw to Spurs at home. Villa have won every single home game. They look fairly rampant. They tore City apart last night. I'm going to go for Villa to win. I think when 
you look at how poor Raya and Arsenal in general looked on set pieces and you consider the delivery of John McGinn and Douglas Luiz, mm. I think that's trouble when, when you've got Carlos and Watkins and Pau Torres, three giants coming up into that box for set pieces. I'm going to go for the Villa win. I'm going to go 3-1 to Villa. Just before we go to break, Dave, I mean, if Arsenal were to win that, would your optics on them change? Because I think you, fair to say, you think they may fall away again. Um, Mm. But if they do pass a test like Villa at Horton Villa away, I should say, um, does that change your your tune on them? Or yeah, well, it will for certain. This is this is the because like you know there, there are certain checkpoints you look at through the season. Like yes, they beat City, but they beat City without Rodri. And City have lost every game they've played this season without Rodri, all four of them. So, yeah, you beat them, but so did Newcastle, so did Wolves, and so did Villa. You know, you drew at home with Tottenham. You didn't beat Spurs. You beat United, but so have a bunch of teams. They've lost six games in the league so far this year. Like, I'm yet to see Arsenal do something that makes me think, yeah, that now they're real title contenders. Now I can really see them going on and doing it. But the bottom line, guys, even if they win this game, the goalkeepers are still David Raya and Aaron Ramsdale. Absolutely. And I'm still not putting my faith in them. Like, if I told you, like, if if you look at it, right, Liverpool, let's say Liverpool beat Palace, and let's say Arsenal draw this game, okay? Mm-hmm. So they both end the weekend on 37 points. If you had to look at the rest of the season, which will be 22 games, who are you going to trust more? The team with Alison Becker or the team with David Raya and Aaron Ramsdale? Mm. Forgetting everything else, you're going to go with Alison Becker. If I said to you, you've got to rely on the goals of Mo Salah or Gabriel Martinelli, you're going to rely on Mo Salah. If I said to you, your defense is built on William Saliba or Virgil van Dijk, you're taking the team with Virgil van Dijk. You know, there's going to be loads of people who just said Saliba there. Of course there is, because they're idiots. <laughs> they're idiots. Like, he's not anything like a great defender. Mm. Yes, he looks very calm and composed. And that fools people and got rinsed, ran him ragged down the touchline. When he gets dragged out of the middle, he looks very vulnerable, very vulnerable. And I think his pace is questionable. We've seen a lot of people ask questions about Levi Caldwell this season because he's had to play left back and his pace has been exposed in bigger spaces. I think this fella, Saliba, has questionable pace. I think that's why Arteta looks to play a centre-back at right-back to tuck him in so Saliba's not having to defend a big space. Because I think he knows he's questionable and can be beaten 1v1 if he gets pulled into wide areas. He's not good when the ball goes behind him. He's appalling in the air. There's massive, massive red flags with Saliba for me. I think he's talented. And I think if he was in a different team with, say, a Virgil van Dijk or somebody experienced next to him who could talk him through games and kind of help him develop, then I would I would absolutely tag him as a defender to keep an eye on for the future. But for now, he's nowhere close. He's nowhere close. This idea that he's the best in the league, he's nowhere close. Yeah, bar injuries, Just I wouldn't in his... change him for Canada, to be fair. No, no, neither would I. 
I'd take Christian Romero over him. I'd take Sven Botman over him. I'd take Ruben Diaz over him. Like, this idea that he's the best in the league, it's a joke. It's an absolute joke. And as for best in the world, he's not one of the 10 best in Europe now. Like, people need to open their eyes and look at what's in front of them. Stop judging things based on team performances and team results. When he's challenged, he struggles. It's as simple as that. And I think Ollie Watkins is going to bully him this weekend. I don't think he'll cope well with Watkins at all. Watkins has demolished much better centre-backs than him. I think Villa beat them 3-1. Ooh, I like it. Um, We will go to an ad break then. We will. We'll go to the break. When we come back, we will go through Sunday's games, of which there are four, one of which looks particularly tasty. Right, welcome back. So, we have four games left for the Sunday slate. So, Guy, where do we start? We start with a relegation six points. <laughs> no, um, we have Everton hosting Chelsea, Dave. I mean, we. I'm sure you mentioned it on today's um, two forty because Chelsea were an embarrassment against United. I think it was conceding four xg to that United side is probably not historic because who cares really about xg in that regard? But it's embarrassing either way. Uh, Everton yet to mm. play, so we don't have that full. Um, data or input, whatever. But I feel like if Everton turn up with Calvert-Lewin, etc., I feel like they could cause that defence issues. Yeah, because, I mean, McTominay arriving into the box caused mayhem, which I don't know if he's going to be fit, but if Amadou Onana is good to play, he will cause them trouble. He's a much better player than Scott McTominay. Now, he's not as good in front of goal as McTominay, but he he's big and he's powerful and he's quick. McTominay scored two and missed two sitters. He probably accounted for 2.5 of, of, of United's XG in that game. Um, missed two in one and obviously instance. Bruno <laughs> missed a penalty as well. So that was a big part of the XG. Yeah, two and like literally two in two seconds he missed with the header and then the the kind of the rebound shot. Um, and Bruno missed the penalties. That's where a lot of the XG came from. But you look at this weekend, Everton, no Ali, Deli Ali, that is, no uh, Andre Gomes, but it looks like Onana should be back. And that's a huge, huge plus for them. Whereas with Chelsea, no Fafana, no Gusto, no Lavia, no Gallagher, no Chilwell, no Chalaba, no Ugachukwu, no Mudeki, and no Chukwemeka. That's that's a lot of players to be without. And obviously, they're still sort of waiting on Christopher and Kunku and trying to see what the situation with him is. He's off the injury list, but he's not back in the squad yet. Um, this might be the game he comes back in. We'll have to wait and see. But Everton. They've got an opportunity here. They play Newcastle tonight, as we're recording, and then they play Chelsea. Now, I don't think they'll get anything from the Newcastle game, but I wouldn't be surprised to see them get something from the Chelsea game. Chelsea just look really, really fragile at the moment. The Enzo 
Caicedo midfield pairing is not working. And the reason it's not working is because there's a lack of explosiveness in that pairing. They're both, like Enzo's not quick. Moises is not quick over the first two or three yards, but then once he gets moving, he is quick. But Moises wants to play as sort of the lone one sitting in there, but so does Enzo. And Enzo needs a partner who's going to get forward a lot more, and that's not really Moises' game. Chelsea would have been better if they bought someone like Amadou Onana as a big wrecker going box to box next to him. And funnily enough, Moises would also look better next to that type of player. Now, I know Moises played next to Alexis at Brighton, but that's in a Deserby setup where the ball is doing the movement for them. It's not the same at Chelsea. They don't play the same brand of football. I would imagine when Moises Caicedo goes home in the evenings, he thinks he made a big mistake going there. He had the opportunity to go to Liverpool where he'd be playing next to Trent in a double pivot and they'd be top of the league. And he'd have Alexis, who he knows. He'd have Dominic Sabaz, like That'd be the midfield four. They'd be untouchable. Instead, he made a really poor career. Well, his agent made a really poor decision for him. And it's a really bad career move in my view. The other thing with Chelsea, and I was thinking about this last night, because you look at their players and not many of them seem to care. Like they just don't seem to care. But then I thought, well, why would they? Like they've got nothing left to work for. They've all been given these ridiculously long contracts on enormous wages. Chelsea's wage bill is phenomenal, like phenomenal. And when their next set of accounts come out, they're going to be hilarious, absolutely hilarious. But all of these players are locked in for seven, eight, nine years because Todd Bowley thought he was being the cleverest guy in the room. He's the dumbest owner in the Premier League. Because think about this. When Liverpool signed Salah, Mane, Firmino, Allison, Virgil, Robertson, Wijnaldum, Fabinho, etc., 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 they gave them five-year contracts. But they gave them five-year contracts with the promise of, look, the wages aren't huge now, but you do well, and in two years they'll go up. Or you win games, and you're automatically going to earn more money. You score goals, you'll earn more money. Liverpool players were incentivized to win. Chelsea's players are not. They're not incentivized to win at all. Now, I do think there's too much talent there for it to not come good at some point. Like, it's it's easy to look at Chelsea and start to form a really good team in your mind. But there also needs to be an influx of leadership and motivation. You can't be walking with Conor Gallagher as your captain and think people are going to take you seriously when you tried your best to push them out the door in the summer. Like, that's farcical. Absolutely farcical. I think Everton are going to get something here. I'm going to go for a 2-1 Everton win. I wouldn't be surprised if it's a draw, but I'm going to go a 2-1 Everton win. Yeah. Yeah, I could see that as well. I think there was a rumour that Medeki might be looking to leave Chelsea already. I think that might have been Football London. I'm not sure if they were re-reporting it or whatever, but 
you're on contract for eight years, mate. Where are you going to go? <laughs> well, that's that's the thing. Like, how do they even get rid of these players? If those players, let's say, so someone like Medeki, he might push to go. So that's fair enough. But he signed a seven and a half year contract in January on what I'd imagine are substantial enough wages. So he's got six and a half years left on his contract. And let's, but let's say someone else, let's look at that squad and let's say they decide, well, you know what? It hasn't really worked out with Mikhailo Mudrik. So we're going to sell him. But they've signed him on an eight and a half year contract last January. He's got seven and a half years left on his deal. How do you even get rid of him? Like, he's on huge money. He's not going to take a pay cut. He can just ride that out. He's set for life. Seven and a half year deal, or eight and a half year deal. Seven and a half years left. Probably on the better part of 200 grand a week. Like, they're stuck with all these players. The only thing they're going to do, they're going to end up with an army out on loan. And they're only going to end up paying half the wages of those players. Chelsea are, I think Chelsea are, are in a bad place. I think the next couple of years are going to be rough for Chelsea, to be honest, because Poch hasn't really gotten them playing at all. There's no definitive style of play. Most of the players aren't performing. A lot of them look like they don't care. And yet... There's no real move for them. Yeah, they could bring in a nine. That like that's not going to solve all your problems. Victor Osman doesn't take this team from tenth to first. And when you've spent a billion quid, first should be the aim. But even if you sign Victor Osman, you still got Robert Sanchez in goal. They're just they're they're in a bad bad way. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely, Um Yeah, I'd probably agree with Everton. Um, at least picking up a draw there. But we'll move on to the next one. Uh, Fulham are hosting West Ham. West Ham play tonight, so we don't have the full picture. But Fulham scoring five goals in a game. I think it's three games in a row they've scored three goals at least. Not one every one, obviously, but mm. they've got goals. <laughs> they scored 12 goals in the last three games, Guy. 12 goals. Their, their season tally is 21. <laughs> they got three Four, no, sorry, they scored 11 goals. 11 goals in the last three games. They scored 10 in 12. And now they've scored 11 in three. Like, that's ridiculous. It just doesn't happen. Um, now, going into this game, the only one West Ham are without is, is Mikel Antonio. Like you said, we don't know what will come out of their game uh, tonight against Spurs. Fulham will have no Issa Diop, no Rodrigo Menez, and no Ad- Adama Traore, but like they haven't missed them. They've 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 been re- they were quite good against Liverpool. They were really good against against Forest. Marco Silva is doing a great job considering the circumstances. Two wins out of their last three. West Ham aren't in bad form, but they're a bit of a mixed batch at the moment. They've, they haven't beaten a good team in a while. Like, you'd have to go back. Look at West Ham's results. Draw with Palace. Beat Burnley, beat Forest. You should beat them. They lost to Brentford. They did beat Arsenal in the EFL Cup, but they lost to Everton. They got hammered by Villa. They drew at West Ham. 
They beat Sheffield United. They lost to Liverpool, lost to City. I mean, their their best win this season was Brighton by considerable margin. And that was the 26th of August. They beat West Ham and Brighton back to back. That's their their best week. Since then, they've beaten the bad teams, but not the good teams. Now, Fulham are kind of in between. They're not good. They're not bad. They're just sort of in the middle. I, I'm thinking a draw in this one. I think they'll lose tonight, West Ham. But I'm, th- I'm thinking a draw in this one. So I'll go... Well, it's Fulham at the moment, so I'll go 3-3. No, I'll go I'll go 1-1. One, one. It's definitely going to be free, you all know. Um, moving on to the televised games for Sunday, then we have Luton hosting Man City, Dave. Uh, do you enjoy your season pass at Kenilworth Road for all the top six games? It's so funny. Like all their all their home games against the big clubs are going to be televised because no one wants to go and play there. Nobody wants to go and play there. Um, it's just, just <laughs> such a small ground. It's tight pitch. Um, they obviously gave Arsenal a lot of trouble. They got a draw against Liverpool. No Dan Potts, no Mads Anderson, no Reese Burke, no Collie Woodrow, no Albert Sambi Laconga. Uh, Marvelous Nakamba might be back. Tom Lockyer might be back. City, no KDB. A doubt over Doku. But Rod- uh, Rodri and Grealish will be back, which will help. Um, This is only the second time since Guardiola took over that City have gone four games without a win in the league. I do not see them making it five for the first time under Pep. I, I think they'll win this game. It won't be easy. But I have a feeling that something will click with City at some point. And I I think this could be the game that we see them just start to, you know, get the ship going in the right direction. I'll go... I'll go 4-1 to City, which might be a bit disrespectful to Luton. But I just feel like Luton's defence was so easily opened up by Arsenal and City are better than Arsenal. So I'm going to go 4-1 to City. I don't think City will have the same issues dealing with set pieces that Arsenal did either because Diaz and Rodri are big, dominant giants when it comes to dealing with set pieces. I was going to ask, is that moment when Kevin De Bruyne comes back? I didn't realise he's been he's been named in their uh, Club World Cup squad, so I'm guessing he's back sooner rather than later. Yeah, he must be. He must be. I mean, originally they were saying kind of January... Um, now maybe that's just so that he can get a medal, you know, they don't have the biggest squad anyway, but maybe it's just so he can get a medal that he, so he's involved that way. Cause it's kind of the last missing medal from his club collection after winning the European cup. Um, but they, they are missing him really, really missing him. And like, he's so important to how they are, how they play his creativity, the understanding with Haaland. And obviously they lost Gundogan and Gundogan was the one when KDB wasn't there or was off form, Gundogan would step up without either of them. That's why we're seeing a lot of the results we're seeing. So I think they'll win this weekend. I think having Rodri back just makes such a difference. I think when he's in the team, they're the best team in the league. Mm -hmm. And when KDB comes back, that's what makes them uh, champions, championship favorites for me. 
Yep, I'd agree with that, to be honest. Um, moving on to the last game of the weekend, uh, another televised game, obviously, for Super Sunday. We have Spurs hosting Newcastle, Dave. Uh, well, we don't know what the story is between these two either. Uh, might pick up another 17 injuries in the time being. But um, this should be a fun game, and I'm guessing Spurs will be looking for redemption, considering, I can't remember if it was at St. James's Park or uh, down in London, but they did get tonked at the end of last season. They did, they did, and they've been a much more teamy kind of team. You know, last season, at times, there was a lot of disconnect between what the defence was doing and what the midfield was doing and what the attack was doing. Individual players were kind of playing for themselves at times, and some of them were trying to find their way back into form. Some of them, I think, had just sort of given up the ghost and were maybe looking for a move and not to name any names or point any fingers. But I do think that hammering last year, 6-1 at St. James's Park, probably still sits very much in their memory for the players that are still there. Like you said, they're, they're both playing tonight. These teams are currently decimated by injuries. Spurs, no Perisic, no Bentoncourt, no Van de Ven, no Madison, no Sessegnon, no Solomon. No Eric Dyer, no Papi Matar-Sar. Oh, Papi Matar-Sar, what was actually said was tomorrow's probably a little bit too early for him, but he should be good for the weekend. So that was yesterday. So he should be back for the weekend. He'll miss tonight, I'm guessing, <clears throat> but should be back for the weekend. And Alfie Whiteman, he um, he wouldn't be playing anyway, but he, he had uh, ankle surgery. But the big one is Romero's back. That's huge for them. But you look at Newcastle and it makes Spurs' situation look good. No Tonali, no Nick Pope, which is a massive loss. No Jacob Murphy, no Dan Byrne, no Callum Wilson, no Elliot Anderson, no Sean Longstaff, no Sven Botman, no Joe Willock, no Harvey Barnes, no Mankio, and no Matt Target. 12 players out. That's the most in the league. Brentford have 10, Spurs have 9. Chelsea and Brighton also at nine. They're the team suffering at the moment. But nobody's suffering more than Newcastle. I think Newcastle will win tonight away to Everton. But I think they lose at Tottenham on Sunday. Um, I know Spurs have been wobbly of late in terms of their form. The Chelsea game, the injuries, the suspensions really hit them hard. They lost to Chelsea purely because they ended up with nine players and and then continued to try and win the game. If they just sat back, I actually don't think Chelsea score again. Uh, They went and lost to Wolves, a game that they were winning until the 91st minute. They drew it. I say they lost at home to Villa. Again, a game they went ahead in. They drew at City, which was a good result and a great performance, and they kept battling to the end, and they got the late goal in that one. I think they'll beat West Ham, and I think they'll beat Newcastle. I'm going to go 3-2 to Spurs. I think it's going to be a really fun game. I think these are two very, very good teams. I think think they, along with Villa, plus Liverpool, City, and Arsenal, make up the six teams competing for top four. Now, I think everybody would agree that Liverpool, City and Arsenal, in whatever order, will be one, two and three. So it leaves the other three battling for that fourth place finish. 
with the form Villa are in, they're the ones in control of a top four pick or top four spot rather. They won last night. I think they win again at the weekend. So I think Spurs are going to need to respond to that because you don't want to start to lose. Um, you don't want to lose touch. You really don't want to lose touch with these teams. So I'm going to say Spurs win 3-2. Like I said, I think Newcastle win tonight. That puts them on 29 points. Spurs win puts them to 30. I think we come out of this weekend with Liverpool on 37 points, Arsenal on 36, Villa on 35, City on 33, Spurs on 33, United on 30, and Newcastle on 29, and Brighton on 28. And then a considerable gap to what will be West Ham in ninth on 22. So you will have a, a an eight-man group, an eight-team group that have separated themselves from the rest, and then it becomes a battle for top four, battle for the title, obviously, and then a battle for Europa League and Conference League. And that's it might be that's fun this year because doesn't the fifth place get Champions League for the? I don't know how that works. I I I need to I need to sit down and yeah. figure out how that works. But I think that is for next season, isn't it? Mm. So I wonder um, if the so number of Europa spots. Yeah, does does it take a Europa spot away, or does the do we get another Europa spot? In which case, mm. seventh goes into Europa, and eighth would get Conference League then. Because if that's the case, then that eight can all start celebrating mm. uh, the fact that they'll be in Europe next season. Um. Yeah, I, I think this is. I think it's a good weekend. I think obviously there's two kind of standout games: Villa home to Arsenal. Tottenham home to Newcastle. They're the, the two big games. But then you look at some of the others and they're just interesting. Like Sheffield United-Brentford is interesting because of the wilder factor. United home to Bournemouth is interesting because United have been so hit and miss and Bournemouth are in good form. Luton City is interested, interesting because City have been in such poor, poor form. Everton-Chelsea could be interesting purely because Everton are the type of team that will cause Chelsea trouble by being big and physical and aggressive. Like, I thought yesterday, despite the fact that there was no control for either side, Amrabat and McTominay kind of out-muscled and outsized the the Chelsea midfield. And they had more mobility about them. And like, both sides were so poor. So poor. Um <laughs> Yeah, so that's it. That's what we have. Ten games. Should be a good weekend. Hopefully, hopefully Liverpool win. Um, but yeah, I think I think I think that's how this the weekend will end up. Liverpool top, Arsenal second, then Villa, City, Spurs, United, and Newcastle, and then Brighton in eighth. I think that's a that's pretty strong. Pretty strong. Right. Uh we will be back on Monday. Enjoy your weekends. Don't do anything foolish. Uh, Hopefully the weather is better where you are than where we are. And uh, yeah, take care of yourselves. Bye-bye.
Social Podcast Network.